know, I've been thinking for a while again, now that we just get to get everything out there, what in the world is up with all of these cow jokes out there? Kitty. They sit around. <laughs> Not funny at all. What did uh, what did one cow say to the oh. other cow on the bus? I don't even know. Move over. Use our language <laughs> to make fun of? Not funny at all. You know, I I had somebody tell me one time, this is late at night, okay? I'm sleeping, my brain's still going. You know how smart we are. Sitting there, sleeping, standing. The guy comes up, he goes, hey, what's a cow with no legs? Ground beef is what he said. Ground That guy doesn't beef. know Lenny. No, he doesn't know Lenny. Lenny got stuck in an electric fence. Lenny don't have any legs. And Lenny's my cousin. Okay, so here's the deal. All of your little jokes that you tell about cows, they aren't funny. They hurt. What's uh deep down? Cow with two legs. I don't know. Lean beef. That's enough, Bo. Yeah, I, I That's don't even enough. Know. You know, if I had a thumb, I'd point down. I'm usually a tough guy, but I can't. Yes, please, please pray for the staff, if you would. They, they need some help. We're uh, in the second week of this series called Cow Tipping. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, it's good to see you here this weekend, and uh, uh, hopefully you'll be back next weekend. What we're going to be talking about next weekend is can somebody, why would a loving God send people to hell? Why would a loving God send people to hell? And if someone is on a deserted island, uh, and they never hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They go to heaven or they go to hell. We're going to talk about that next weekend. And so we're uh, kind of going to do that. Today, I'm going to talk to you about, um, can a Christian drive a BMW and wear a Rolex? Is that good? We're just going to jump right off the high dive right into the pool, and we're going to talk about the good old M word, materialism. Now, I've been raised in church my whole life, and, and being in raised in church, I've heard statements like this. A Christian can't drive... Or a pastor can't wear, and, and you know, a Christian can't drive. I, I, even, I've even heard comments of people on a life church parking lot just say, well, I didn't know that Christians can drive a, or I didn't know pastors could wear a. And, and so whether you're talking about Mercedes or, or a Ford F-150, come on, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good, or a Rolex or a Timex, we're going to talk about that today. Because materialism basically... Uh, it's not about an amount, it's about an attitude. Materialism is never about an amount, it's about an attitude. If you talk to someone that makes $30,000 a year, they'll say, I'm not materialistic. And they'll point to someone that makes six figures a year and go, no, that's materialistic. And a person who makes six figures a year goes, no, 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 man, I'm 150 a year isn't materialistic. The guy making a half million, now that's a materialistic lifestyle. And the guy goes, half million, says, no, 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 man, the, the $3 million guy, that's a materialistic lifestyle. The reality is, is that materialism is never about an amount. It's about an attitude. Materialism basically is an obsession with things. It's to be obsessed with things. As a pastor, I meet people at all different levels of life. I meet people on their way up, on their way down. I see people on their best. I see people at their worst. And, and just to be really honest with you, some of the most materialistic people I've ever met were poor people, financially speaking. They were people because they were so obsessed with what this person had and what this person drove and where they lived and where they did this. And, and, they, and, and they're just obsessed with things. 
Some of the least materialistic people I've ever met were people that were well-to-do, that were wealthy. Because they just, they realize, hey, whether we're talking about Skittles or rubies or, or we're dealing with dollars and cents or we're talking about M&Ms, it doesn't matter. It's just a resource. It's just a way to be able to go from point A to point B to be able to do this. You're blessed to be a blessing. But this whole conversation really infiltrates the church. And you hear people saying, well, can you do this? Or can you drive that? Or can you live there? Or can you wear this or that? Let me say something else, too. Sometimes you have this this discussion that, well, the pastor should not be able to do X, Y, Z. I know pastors that drive the same vehicle, make and model, and they get a new car every two years. But it's the exact same color, exact same make and model, because they don't want to make anybody mad in the church. Oh, don't shut me down when I'm preaching. And, and, and here's the deal. There's a guy named Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther and, and, and the Protestant Reformation, the, 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 the father of the Lutheran church, Martin Luther, and he wrote this thesis. And part of the theology of the thesis is a, is a theology that we as an evangelical Protestant church and all evangelical Protestant churches embrace, and that's called the priesthood of every believer. And the priesthood of every believer basically says this, is the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So the pastor or the priest is not better than the parishioner or the laity. And they're different, they're equal value but different function. And so if it's wrong for the pastor to do it, it's wrong for the parishioner to do it. If it's wrong for the pastor to do it, it's wrong for the laity to do it. And if it's okay for the laity to do it, then it should be okay for the pastor to do it. Because before the pastor is a pastor, he is first a Christian. He's a parishioner. And so we are all called into ministry, uh, and, and whether we're called to vocational ministry or to, or to, to, to um, marketplace ministry, we're all called. Thus, we all stand account before God. And so as a pastor, my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry because you're the saints of the church. The saints are not elevated priests. The saints are you. That's what Paul says. And so the bottom line is, if something's wrong for me to do, it's wrong for you to do. And if something's wrong for you to do, it's wrong for me to do. And we like that theology when it comes to grace, but we don't like that theology sometimes when it comes to things. It's okay if we're talking about God's kingdom, but it's not okay if we're talking about my kingdom. Because I don't want to, it's okay for you to have to be a pauper pastor, but I don't want to have to live like that. And the reality is, is that the Bible says, no, 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 no. Contrary, my fair, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And if something's wrong for me to do it as a Christ follower, it's wrong for you to do it. Now, I understand prudence. I understand being smart. I understand there's certain things there. But at the same time, it's this thing called materialism. And Paul deals with this issue head on. That's one of the reasons why we want to talk about it. Because we talk about this from time to time. And sometimes people go, but man, why do you talk about giving? Because Jesus talked more about money and giving than he did about heaven and hell and prayer combined. Paul speaks of this issue to the church. First of all, we see it to the church in Ephesus. He also speaks to it to the church in Corinthians. Because both of these were very influential cities. Paul is writing to this young pastor, Timothy. And Timothy's pastoring in Ephesus. Now, before you think, well, first century, people are all wearing bathrobes and walking around with camels and chariots. Uh, you have to understand that Ephesus was a very affluent and influential city, a, very, a cultural center. Um, they, were, they were known for their engineering feats. Matter of fact, it was a capital city for the Roman government that they established that there. Uh, Caesar himself did that. And it was a very affluent city. It was a city of about a half million people. And, and they said that, scholars say that the church in Ephesus actually got up to somewhere close to 100,000 members. A very influential church. And Paul is speaking to this young pastor, Timothy, his protege. 
And he's writing these words in 1 Timothy. And he's writing these, church, these words for him to be able to preach and stand and be able to declare the things of God to the people of God in this city that was affluent and influential. And he writes his words in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, 18, and 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Which is so uncertain. But put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will, lay up for, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul uses very strong language here. He says, Timothy, I want you to command them to do this. I don't want you to advise them. I don't want you to inform them. I don't want you to just to kind of gently roll into it. I want you to command them. Do not set yourself up on your money. Do not become arrogant in what you have. Watch your attitude when it comes to materialism. Now, here's what's interesting to me. Most pastors and churches in America don't talk about this subject. You know why? Because they're scared somebody's going to get mad fold their checkbook up, put it back in their pocket, and leave. Most pastors in America don't want to deal with the money issue because when you start talking about money, people get funny. Right now, everybody's like, oh, is he going to take another offering? What's about to happen? I just don't. Just let me tell you, I'm not going to take any extra offerings today, all right? I'm not gunning for anything today. But I think it's one of those sacred cows we need to deal with. Because Paul tells Timothy, this young pastor in this growing church, in this affluent, influential city, this cultural epicenter, you need to command them. You need to deal with them. You need to let them know, those who are rich in this present world, not to become arrogant or hung up on their wealth. You need to command them to do good and to be rich in their good deeds. So he basically says, look, you need to deal with this head on. This is, you find this throughout scripture. It's a principle of God's word. God's word isn't a formula. It's not A plus B equals C. It's not some algebraic formula that you can just, every time. You know, I know sometimes we hear people say, well, if you give God $100 a day, you'll get $1,000 by the end of the week. It doesn't work that way. Now, Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says, don't be mocked. God is not mocked for whatever man sows, that's what he reaps. I get that. And I do believe in seed, time, and harvest. The Bible says as long as the earth shall endure, there will be seed, time, and harvest. That's the book of Galatians. So right from the beginning of the book, it talks about it. But it's not about a formula. It's about a principle. And Paul is addressing Timothy. I want you to make sure that you're talking to these people who are influential and who are affluent. I want you to make sure that you're dealing with these people about this issue. Don't let this slide, Timothy. Don't let your youthful naivete push you back. Don't let strong people or wealthy people corral you into a corner. Stand up, preach the word of God, preach it loud, preach it strong, and command them not to become arrogant. Command them not to become all intoxicated with their wealth. Command them to do good deeds and to understand where the money comes from. So God commands this attitude and this action when it comes to materialism. He commands this attitude. The first attitude he commands is that rich is relative. Rich is relative. Rich is not a relative. Rich is relative, all right? Now, I don't want to make light of people's financial struggles because I understand there are people in this room that you're struggling. Maybe you're looking for a job. Maybe you've lost a job. Uh, financially, things are tight. Uh, you're having a hard time. So I'm not trying to make light of that. But sometimes I do think the things that we perceive to be a burden are actually a blessing. 
The things that we perceive to be a burden, someone else would view to be a blessing. Why don't you look at your neighbor right now and just ask him one question. Whether it's the Germantown campus, the West campus, online campus, just look at your neighbor and say, are you rich? Just look at him right now. Are you rich? Because maybe ask your spouse right there. Maybe they got money you don't know about. Oh, wow, we're rich. I didn't know that. Are you rich? Because that's rude. Just ask them anyhow. The pastor said, ask, are you rich? Somebody's saying, yeah, I can own this place. All right, then write the check. Hallelujah. All right? How are you rich? Now, Here's the reason I want you to do that. Because I think sometimes when we hear that phrase, when he says, I want you to command the rich, we go, that's not me. Not I. He's not talking to me, man. He's talking to the guy that just pulled up in the new SUV in the parking lot. That's who pastor's talking about right now. He's talking to the guy who I know he's fat and nasty loaded. Can you see that watch he was wearing? He's talking about that couple. Do you know that they've got like a house here and there and over here? Now, he's not talking to me. Rich is relative. Now, Understand, too, that, well, maybe that's a scriptural rich. No, no. Scriptural rich and your idea of rich are the two kinds of rich. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's idea of broke is different. But I'm telling you, rich is rich, right? Fat and assy loaded, got money. I like, okay? Right? So it's all of that. But people, you have to understand this. If you look at at rich being relative, if you make $15,000 U.S. dollars a year or more, you are in the top 11% of the wealthiest people in the world. Let's rewind that one tape. Did he say 55,000? He said 150,000. No, I said 15,000, which is poverty level in the U.S. You are in the top 11, 12% of the wealthiest people in the world. Would the Bible be talking to you? Would he be talking to the top 10%? Yes. Rich is relative. And you may go, man, you don't understand. Let me, let me give you some context. Um, Sineda is a young girl who is 14 years of age, she lives in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya, that our family, Tammy and I and the girls, we sponsor her uh, through Mission of Mercy, child sponsorship program, 36 bucks a month. And through that sponsorship program, she gets clothing, she gets an education, she gets medical attention, and she gets a nutritious meal and clean drinking water. And about a year ago, I was in Nairobi. And if you've been to Nairobi, uh, Kenya, I mean, it's a very, it's a wonderful city. And very, very, there's many, many westernized things about it. Matter of fact, the hotel we were staying at, uh, uh, Jay Cutler, the uh, quarterback for uh, the uh, Bears, yeah, that's the team, was there. And he had the same look on his face today that we beat him. And, and, and he was there. It was just a few weeks after that game. And, uh, and, and so, I mean, you, you have a lot of affluence in that city, but but you have an extreme amount of poverty, and there's no governmental structure to help make sure that medical needs, clean drinking water, just education are met. And so because of that, there are these children that would just be abandoned if it hadn't been for organizations like Mission of Mercy stepping in and doing this. So I got the opportunity when I was there to go to the class and to meet her in her class, to meet her teacher, to be able to see her schoolwork. I got the opportunity to be able to walk through the slums to go to her home and see this metal and cardboard structure that was put together. It was probably 90 degrees. It was uh, in the middle of February, and so um, dusty and dry. There was no air conditioning. It was a dirt floor. There was no indoor plumbing. There was not, nothing of that nature. Uh, and, and, and I got to, to see where she lives. I got to meet her parents. I got to hear the story and sit down. Now, you take that and just freeze that for a minute. And let's fast forward into my life. 
I don't know how many of you this past week or so you filled your car up with gas. But it's, cra- it's painful, isn't it? Let's just be honest. It's painful. I just think to myself, self, there's a lot of things I could be doing with that money. I could play golf with that money. I, I could buy, you know, I mean, I could go out to eat with I mean, it's, it's painful. Now, it, as painful as that is, if I were to go to Seneda and say, Seneda, man, I, you just need to understand, I don't have a lot of money because I had to put so much money because it costs so much money for gas for one of my cars, plural, that when I get done filling them up, I'm going to take my car to its very own house, which is called a garage. Some of you thought, man, he's fat and ass loaded. No, I have the same thing you have. I'm going to take it to his own house called a garage, which is four times larger than your home is, more insulated, more well put together. And I get frustrated and mad because i got to paint it every seven years. And, and I'm going to put it there, and I just want to let you know I'm having a rough time. I don't think Sonata would, Sonata would go, uh, uh, Pastor Aaron, let, here, let, 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 let me give you some money. Can, could, could I give you something? No, because she's looking at me going, you have cars she might have never even driven in a car. Not that there aren't cars in Nairobi, just aren't in her neighborhood. She doesn't have indoor plumbing. I mean, I have windows, double-hung windows in my garage and a door, just like you do. And it's insulated. It's a concrete floor. It's nicer than her home. See, the reality is that rich is very much relative. And when we say rich, we're all thinking the person with the Midwest living uh, uh, landscape down the street, well, they're rich. Or the people that just bought the house over here, they're rich. Or the people in that car right there, they're rich. Or the people that are in front of us in the carpool lane, you know what they own? You know who they work for? Do you know what their last name is? They're rich. But we never think in terms of, I'm rich. We're at school, students, and we're there, and we're thinking, well, I'm not rich. That person's rich. That girl's got a new outfit every day. That guy has the best of, of this. He has new tennis shoes all the time. His parents own. Do you know where they go? You know what he did? Do you know what, where they went to vacation for, for spring break? And then they've got a house in here, and they've got a place over here. There, And we, we will forget that rich really is relative. Second thing Paul says is that greed is diverse. This attitude to watch out for, that greed is diverse. Ask your neighbor, are you greedy? Go ahead. You already asked them if they were rich. Just ask them, are you greedy? Come on, just right there. Are you greedy? Are you, you greedy? Some of you, now you're asking your spouse. I know you're greedy. All right, you're greedy. Here we go. Are you greedy? Because when you, ask, you think about that word greed, you think like guys like Bernie Madoff who just a Ponzi scheme to, to, to build people out of millions of, of dollars, their retirement. Man, I read an article about that guy. I saw a news show about that guy. I saw that. That's greed. But I'm here to remind you that greed is diverse. Remember I asked you the question at the very beginning, can a Christian drive a BMW? I would say we all have BMWs. Mm, I'm not, this isn't Oprah's giveaway, right? This isn't like her favorite things. BMWs, beyond maintenance wants. Beyond maintenance wants. See, it's easy for me to sit there, and I'm driving down the road in my beater of a car, and I'm going, and I'm saying to myself, you know what, man? And I see some guy pass me with a 5 Series BMW, and I just go, see, that guy, he is materialistic. Only for me to look down to my $600 smartphone and look at my $400 iPod, I just have a different set of wants. I have a different set of beyond maintenance needs that I have beyond maintenance wants. See, yours may be a car. 
Yours may be a watch. Somebody else's may be a boat. Somebody else's may be a house. Somebody's may be a travel. Somebody else's clothes. Some of you ladies, it's shoes. You got more shoes than you could wear in a lifetime. Woo, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Notice I said that when my wife isn't in the room. Um, it, it may be sporting equipment. Some of you go, well, bless God. I drive a Ford F-250 and I don't have a BMW. I think that's a waste of money. But your car costs more than a 7 Series, sir, because of those huge tires. And that, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to somebody's kitchen right now. And not to mention, uh, you know, uh, all, all, I mean, you, you, have like a, you have like extended credit at, 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 at Cabela's because you've got all this fish and tackle and, oh, man, it's getting quiet in here. Got all this stuff. See, everybody's stuff is different. Uh, and somebody goes, well, bless God, I don't have a new big Ford F-150. I got an old Chevrolet Silverado back over there with 150,000 miles. I'm in the same house for 25 years. But you had to build an outbuilding to hold all the Bosch power tools that you bought from Menards and from Fleet Farm. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. And from Lowe's and from Home Depot. They will think you only use about once every four months, but you need them all. See, what I'm trying to communicate to all of us is we all have BMWs. We all have beyond maintenance wants in our life. And it's easy for me to judge you from the point of my strength. On the point of your weakness. Maybe yours is a car. Maybe yours is power tools. Maybe yours is hunting equipment. Maybe yours is travel. Maybe yours is shoes. Maybe yours is shopping. Maybe yours is a watch. I don't know what it is. But every one of us find ourselves that greed is diverse. What's greed? Greed is the, is, is, is the need to acquire gone haywire. Greed is the need to acquire things gone haywire. And Jesus says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 15, that there are different types of greed. And for many of us, the type of greed that we deal with is a greed of indulgence. We like to indulge. We like to swipe our way to happiness. We just pull out that, that piece of plastic and swipe. And whatever we want to do, we want to travel, swipe. We, 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 we want to uh, go out to eat, swipe. We, we want to go watch every new movie, swipe. We want a new house, swipe. You know, whatever it is, new motorcycle, swipe. Oh, see, do, swipe, swipe. Oh, I need a new pontoon boat, swipe. Oh, don't shout me down, I'm preaching good. F-150, swipe. Whatever it may be, I just go and do that. And I have this stuff. And I can see it in the room. Well, bless God, brother, I don't do that. Nope. No, your issue is not the need to acquire gone haywire when it comes to indulgence. It's insulation. You stockpile everything you have. And you say, there's my success. There's my security. There's... What did Paul say? Paul said... Make sure, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. So whether your greed is indulgence and swiping your way to happiness or an insulation and saving your way to try to protect yourself and layer yourself, the reality is they're both sin. The truth is they're both idolatry. Remember the parable that Jesus gives in the Gospels of the man who built barns and bigger barns? And he said, you fool, tonight what you have amassed will be required of you. You've, you, you, you've done all of this, and for what? Paul goes on to say, not only is rich relative and greed diverse, but wealth is uncertain. Wealth is uncertain. Whether you're a great money manager like Warren Buffett 
who lost $25 billion in the recession between 08 and 09. Or whether you're a horrible money manager and a huge money spender like the estate of Michael Jackson of when he died owed $400 million. How do you do that? He owns the rights to, uh, to all of the Beatles songs, to every one of them that were written. How do you, and they said this of him, he spent more than he could take in. It doesn't matter whether you make $20,000 a year and you're up to your yin-yang in debt or you own everything and the number one music seller in the world. If you spend more than you make, your wealth is uncertain and it will all come crashing down. This problem doesn't just affect Warren Buffett and Michael Jackson. It affects all of us. Matter of fact, this issue of the uncertainty of wealth and our need for this in the American culture is so prevalent that society, not me, not church, you can Google this, you can Wikipedia this, you can, you can, you can Yahoo this, has come up with a term and a coined phrase called affluenza. Affluenza. Here's the definition. I didn't come up with this. This is, this is, this is what, what was coined. Affluenza is a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, of debt, of anxiety, and waste resulted in the dogged pursuit of more. See, our problem isn't a credit crisis. Our problem isn't Wall Street. Our problem is our attitude when it comes to things. Whether we're talking about dollars and cents, pounds, rupees, skittles, M&Ms, it doesn't matter. Our problem is us. It's our attitude. And until we get our attitude about these things right, we'll never get our actions right. That's the reason why Paul says, Timothy, I don't want you to advise the church. I don't want you to suggest to the church. I don't want you to have a small council. I want you to command them. I want you to command them. I want you to get in their grill, get in their kitchen, and make sure that they understand the responsibility that they have. Make sure they understand the, 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 the temptation that's there. Command them on these issues. And when you hear a message like this, there's two responses. One is guilt. Man, just here, take everything I got. Just shut up. You can take a special offering. I knew a guy one time threw his entire billfold in the bill. In, in the, in, just take it all. I'm just sick of hearing you talk about it, preacher. Shut up. True story. I can tell you his name introduce you to him. And the other response is, ah, I knew they were going to get around this sooner or later. Church, they always want your money. Always want your money. Yeah, here he goes. Here's this preacher goes. Well, in case you notice, we're doing all right and we're paying our bills. And God's paying the bills. And uh, this all happened before you showed up, so we don't need your money. That's not about that. It's his will, his bills kind of a deal. He'll take care of it, and he's been doing a pretty good job of it. What's the response? What's our response to all this? Well, first of all, let me tell you that guilt is not the answer. I'm, you're doing a pretty good job of it, man. Guilt is not the answer. Well, you're shaving my legs for this. I really appreciate this. Yeah, this is great. Look at verse 17. Paul says to Timothy, But tell them to put their hope in God, who richly, that same word richly is the exact same word that he uses in, in the first part of 17, where he says, Command those who are rich in this present world. So it means the same thing. He's talking about material wealth. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, but tell them to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
Do you understand something? That God is a good God and He wants to bless you? That's my point. It's not about the, 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 the status of the car that you drive. It's not about the kind of watch that you wear. It's not about what you have or what you don't have. It's not about the address. It's not about the lake house. It's not about the beach house. It's not about the ski resort. It's not about your travel. It's not about your shoes, ladies. Shut me down, I'm preaching good. It's not about any of that. God wants to bless you. And I'm not talking about name it, claim it, blab it, grab it kind of stuff. I mean God wants to bless you. The Bible says that we who are earthly fathers want to give good gifts to our children. How much more does our heavenly father want to do that for us? We as an earthly father would not give our child who asks for a piece of bread a stone to eat. So much more does our heavenly father want to bless us. Well, Jesus talked more about this issue of giving than he did about heaven or hell. Because the reality is, God's a good God. When you read that verse, put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There's nothing wrong with having things. The problem you have to watch out is making sure that things don't have you. So don't judge somebody for what kind of car they drive. Don't judge somebody for what home they live in. Don't judge somebody for how they dress. Don't judge somebody for where they eat. Don't judge somebody for... And heaven forbid that you elevate yourself above the pastor, or the pastor above you, or anybody. The ground's level the foot of the cross is the priesthood of all believers. But the reality is, is that there has to be some balance between Bentleys and bling and barefoot and broke. You understand what I'm saying? Because there's part of our world that says everybody should just be destitute and paupers. Show me chapter and verse. And there's another part of our, of our world that says everybody, if you're blessed, you'll drive a Bentley and then you'll fly in a jet airplane. Show me chapter and verse. It's not there. But there's this place, there's this sweet spot of God's blessing where God is your source and you take comfort in that. Because it is he who puts the bless on your ing. It's he that puts a bless on your earning and on your saving and on your spending and on your giving. It's God, the blesser, that wants to bless you and wants to bless the areas of your life, wants to bless your children and wants to bless your life. Do you understand that? God is a good God and he wants to bless you. And you go, but, but, but what, about, what, what about that young girl you talked about in, 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 in Kenya? There's a responsibility for being blessed. And that responsibility is called generosity. Generosity is the answer. See, my guilt doesn't help her. My guilt or pity doesn't do anything for her. But my generosity can change her life. Your guilt doesn't help you. But your generosity can change someone. And generosity isn't about what I give. It's about what I choose to keep. Why don't you think about that for a second? Generosity is not measured by the amount that I give, but it's measured by the portion in which I keep. She's why the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. Because if it was measured based on what I give, then the person that could write the biggest check would be the most generous person. But the Bible says that's not true. Remember the woman with, with less than a penny with two, with two mites? And Jesus stops and says, this woman has given everything that she has. She's given more than anybody else in the room today she gave out of her need and not out of her abundance 
It's easy for a rich person to write a big check. It's not what God's looking for. What God wants to know is, are you willing to understand that He is a blessor that wants to bless your life for your enjoyment? Nothing wrong with that. Enjoy it. But there's a responsibility that comes with that blessing. And that, that is, is that you should be generous, Paul says in verse 18. Make sure, command them to be generous. Don't just tell them to be generous. Don't just give them an opportunity. You need to beat the pulpit, uh, Timothy. You need to talk with all of your mind and command them to be generous. To excel in generosity. So that when they see a need, they meet it. When they see someone that's in need, they go to that person. That they, that they strategically and intentionally invest in people and in ministry and to build the kingdom of God. That to whom much is given, much is required. And that there's an intentionality behind that. Because see, with the blessings of God, according to verse 17 and 18, we are to do two things with them. One is to receive them. The other one is to reflect them. To receive and to reflect the blessings of God. That's what we do with the blessings of God. Verses to receive it, verse 17 says. It's for our enjoyment. Let me say this again. There's nothing wrong with having a bass boat. There's nothing wrong with going hunting or fishing. There's nothing sinful about a new house. There's nothing sinful about the car you drive. It's between you and the Lord. You don't answer to me. I don't answer to you. We answer to him. And so it's okay to receive those blessings. But when you receive them, you have to understand that there is a responsibility. And verse 18 says that you need to reflect those. You need to be generous. That you're blessed to be a blessing. And look for intentional ways in which to bless other people. As intentional as you are about spending. As intentional as you are about saving. As intentional as you are about earning. You should be intentional about giving. I'm not taking a special offering. I'm not asking you when the, when the offering comes by in a few minutes for you to throw a 20 in the billfold. God doesn't need your money. God's not sitting there thinking, I hope I can scrape together enough money tonight that I can go to, uh, today that I, I can go out to eat lunch after church. God doesn't need our money. God's not fretting over these issues. Nothing has ever occurred to God like He didn't think about it. He's wanting to bless you. Bless me. But there's a responsibility to reflect those blessings. So, how do you end a message like this? I think you have to evaluate yourself. I think you have to look at your own self. Because I'm not your judge, God is. I mean, I can tell you that these, this scriptural principle, I learned a long time ago. And I didn't learn them in the house of a minister. I learned them in, my dad was a blue-collar worker, built air conditioners for train and General Electric. Tammy, my wife, didn't grow up in a minister's home. Her dad's an engineer for General Electric. We, 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 but when we got married, we decided, you know, something we want to do is that we want to be intentional. Not that we have a lot of money, but we want to be intentional. And so what, one of the things we want to do is make sure that we're intentionally having a strategic plan so that we are able to, every single year, give a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Why? Because that's what his word says. Why? Because I know how greedy I can be. Maybe you're not this way. Maybe you don't deal with any of this. But I know me, and I know how depraved I am, and I know how I, me, and mine, king of the mountain, that I can be. And the way that I kill greed in my life is giving it away. Just give it away. Give it away. Give it away. I know people that they want to do a garage sale and have everybody buy their junk. Just give it away. Give it away. Here, take this. Take this. Take this. Because I don't want anything. It's okay to have things. I just don't want ever there to be a day for things to have me. 
So there are strategic things that I do in my life. Evaluate yourself. First of all, I tell you to, to stop and realize how blessed you are. And even some of the burdens that you're dealing with, gas to fill your car with, or your cars with, there's a lot of people in the world that would trade a lot, a lot to be where you are. I mean, we're blessed to live in a nation where we can go to any church we want to go. If we didn't want to go to church, we don't have to go to church. We're blessed to be in a country where we can start a business. And if we've got an idea that works, it'll work. Yeah, but this and that. No, 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 no. I'm telling you. Let me, let me introduce you to some people in Cuba. Matter of fact, on into the summer, we're going to have some Cuban pastors that, that are going to be here because we've written the Cuban government and have asked for a special visa for them to be able to come and speak to you. Earn PhDs in agriculture and in medicine, and they make $16 a month. We are blessed, folks. We are so blessed. I think we have to evaluate and make sure that we identify our BMW. I'm not talking about your color and your make and your model. I'm talking about your beyond maintenance want that you deal with. Because it's different for everybody in this room. And make sure you're not judging somebody because you drive a beater and they drive a nice car. But you have an inordinate amount of something over here. Then they don't even do that. But evaluate ourselves. Make sure that we don't allow this monster more to devour our lives. And ultimately, I'd encourage you to evaluate, is God your source? Because He wants to be. He wants it to be a relationship where you receive and you enjoy the blessings of God. And then you take those and you reflect those blessings and you become a blessing to somebody else. Father, I just thank you today for your goodness and for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for your word. Who cares what Aaron Cole thinks? We want to know what does the Word of God say? And your Word of God, and the Word of God on this issue is so clear. It's so straightforward. And I just pray, God, as we listen to your word, that we're commanded, God, not to, to, to take on a negative attitude, not to allow greed or, or wealth, whether it's indulgence or it's insulation in, in, in the things that we have. But God, we are to, to simply understand that you are the blessor and that you want to bless us, but you want to bless us to be a blessing to others that we receive and reflect those blessings of you. And that the key to all of this is generosity. Lord, you demonstrated that when you gave your one and only son. No greater love. You gave it your all. And you ask us in turn to trust you and to do that in every single area of our lives. So I pray, Lord, we would deal with this issue, whether it's big or small in our life. We would identify it. We would identify you as our source, and we would thank you, Lord. Even for sometimes the burdens that we deal with are actually blessings that you've blessed us with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.